Hello, everyone, and welcome uh, to the Thinking Loud About Film uh, podcast. Uh, this is the 24th uh, episode on Hu Shen, and it's the 14th on Surrounding Context. We're, we're at the risk of doing more context uh, than uh, Hu Shaoshen films, though we promise we will be returning uh, <laughs> to Hu Shen uh, Eventually. So yeah. we, we need to number it differently. So this is like number 13 on... 14 on Context, 10 on Ho Shao Shen, 4 on Edward Yang, <laughs> uh-huh. and this is actually Sylvia Chang podcast number oh, 3. Ah, okay, well, there you go. <laughs> we have been looking at uh, that day uh, on the beach from 1983. You know, just to remind ourselves, some of the omnibus films that we saw were 82, 83. So we're talking about that early, early period where Hu Shao Shen was, in fact, making rural musicals about school teachers and so on, right? So... Uh, my first impression is that this is a very different kind of film. Yeah, yeah. It's a, I thought it was an amazingly accomplished film, actually, for a first, yeah, it's his first feature from Edward Yang. It's a very, very complex film. I mean, it's sort of reminiscent of the themes of some of the Ho Sha Shen coming of age films. The difference is it's focusing on women rather than young men, which Ho Sha Shen was generally focusing on. And it's focusing on middle-class city dwellers rather than kind of rural working-class people, I think would be another difference. Yes, I think those are important differences. Uh, it's a very long film. Yeah, It's two hours and 46 minutes. I was trying to think whether it was self-indulgent uh, or not, but actually I don't think it is self-indulgent. I, I was with it uh, all the way, and I found it quite moving and and really like very poetic which, you know, is, is the highest compliment I can give. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's actually quite short for an Edward Yang film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you know how old he was when he made this film? Because um, it, it actually feels like the work of a relatively young man, but a so wise he, one. <laughs> he was born in 47. Yeah. So actually he was 35. So, so very young, not... actually. I mean, it's changed now because technology's changed and everyone can make a movie with their iPhone. But it used to be, actually, uh, you know, certainly in the middle classic period, that having a, a director in their 30s was a very young director. Mm. You know, let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, He's the same age. Ho Shao Shen was born the same year, incidentally. Mm. So they have that in common. You want to tell us a story? It's about the sort of teenage years and young adulthood of largely focused on one woman who's played by Sylvia Chang. We see it starts off in, in the present day, this concert pianist returns to Taiwan and meets up with her old friend from school over a coffee, at which point they go, flashbacks happen. So this, the whole thing is told in, in flashbacks in a very non-linear way. You move between different time frames frequently. You have to keep an eye on the haircuts to work out what's going on. The Sylvia Chang character's brother is having an affair with the, with the other girl, which the parents don't approve of. He has an arranged marriage. She then goes off and becomes a pianist outside the country. She kind of disappears from the narrative. You know, she's only in the framing sequence. Then you see the the kind of coming of age and, and young adulthood of the Sylvia Chang character. So she's she goes to college. She meets this boy. They fall in love. Again, the parents don't approve. She runs away and marries the guy. Um, and they, they then, you know, for a period, they're struggling. And then he starts making a lot of money. He's working for a slightly dubious company run by his friend. And then... The central event is happens that day on the beach, hence the title, that the the husband um, disappears. So he's 
he's apparently seen on the beach he apparently may have committed suicide has he killed himself has he embezzled money has he left the country with the money has he left the country on his own these are all questions and then the the, the rest of the film essentially is her failing to resolve those questions um but learning about herself yeah exactly and, and i think that's that's what's interesting about the film that you you know the what happens to the husband is kind of by the end well who cares it doesn't really matter um it's the fact that she she manages to find her own life and her own way of living and so does the other woman the the, the, the pianist yes uh that scene that you're describing with the brother so let me just elaborate a little bit so sylvia chang uh plays jia li uh and the woman who becomes uh, a, a pianist uh, whose name is Tan Wei King, is played by Terry Hu. So they're the ones that reunite after 13 years. And Tan, Tan Wei King becomes the girlfriend of uh, Jia Li's uh, brother, Jia Sen. So, and actually, there's a wonderful scene where he's forced by his parents to go into an arranged marriage. And she goes to talk to him. Yeah, and, yeah, and he's kind of like, you know, defeated and... He has this this Prince of Wales, this Prince Charles moment where she asks him, you know, kind of like, you know, are you in love or whatever? And he says something like, what is love? <laughs> so, yeah, in a way, uh, he's accepting uh, uh, of the authority imposed on him where she does not. Yeah, she runs off to be with a man she loves. And ends up in many ways no happier. Yeah. That, that's yeah, that's the interesting thing, isn't it? Because I think that that's really the message here that that you know he's unhappy because he's accepted the fate that his parents have decreed for him. She refuses to accept that fate and ends up unhappy as well. Although in the, by the end of the film, you know she's clearly a successful career woman and, and everything's going fine for her. Yes, I think that's really one of the beautiful things about the film. Uh, well, there are many beautiful things. The film is shot by Christopher Doyle. Yeah, who did his first film? Yeah, who 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 worked with Wong Kar Wai and Gus Van Sant and so on, and there are absolutely just gorgeous visual moments in the film. You know, there's a scene where the protagonist and her friend are going up a hill. Yeah, and there are all the why the telephone wires. Yeah, um, just gorgeous. And there's another scene where you know the couple is dancing a tango they're learning to be together they're falling in love and they begin to dance i think it's a tango it might be a paso doble and the image is thrown on screen as a shadow that the sister watches and it's just so evocative and poetic and, and beautiful yeah um, there's another one i noticed when they the two girls and the brother go into the parents house and they walk into the house and there's kind of this white light it's kind of like they're walking into heaven or something. Yes. It's just this kind of very atmospheric shot. Yes. The film is full of touches like that, actually. This is a filmmaker who's, who's very conscious of the power of images to evoke feeling, right? And feeling... So it's not meaning, per se, because it's not as if you could quite fix on what it is that he's saying the way that you would be able to with language, right? It's just you know, a, a feeling that you understand and imbibe and, you know, and recognize, but can't quite put your finger on to articulate it precisely. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, and, and I think he does that very beautifully. One thing interesting talking to Christopher Doyle, because I've been watching, you know, there's a, there's a, a, a season of Wong Kar Wai films 
going around in cinemas at the moment. So I've been watching those at my local cinema. So I've only seen two so far. I mean, I see, I've seen some of them years ago, uh, but I watched Days of Being Wild um, last week. And so you've got, you know, similar set in a similar kind of time frame to some of these Taiwanese films, set in a similar kind of milieu with the, you know, gangs and brothels and, and fights in snooker halls and slightly fragmented storytelling and, you know, shot by Christopher Doyle and with some common cast members, so Tony Leung is, but very, very different, very different films. And, and it seemed to me there's a kind of commonality between the all the Taiwanese films, all the 80s Taiwanese films we've seen. You know, Yang is very different from Ho, but there are similarities in terms of, you know, all these medium shots and all these kind of long held shots and kind of very languid storytelling. Whereas with Days of Being Wild, you've got very rapid cutting, all these different camera angles all over the place. Lots and lots of close-ups, which you don't really get in, in Yang or Ho Shao Shen. Um, so it's kind of, as I just found it fascinating that you can immediately, it, it sort of feels there's a distinct, there's a distinct Taiwanese style, even though the individual directors are very distinct from each other. Mm, that's interesting. I haven't, I haven't quite noticed that because what I'm seeing is really how different Yang and who are Yang is so upper class, who is very much man of the people. Yang has a tendency to uh, focus on women in quite an extraordinary way, I think, actually. And this is not a criticism of uh, Hu Shaoshen, because actually what he does is really focus on, you know, working class men who are rarely given a voice as well. You know, so so I think there's a kind of a nice complementarity. Exactly, yeah. And who who actually appears in this film, of course? So when the husband gets a job in his friend's firm, I think it's not just who. I think one at least one or two of the other co-workers are filmmakers from the the new cinema. I recognise a couple of them from the photos. Uh, but yeah, Ho Shen plays. I don't think his character has a name. But he's basically a bit of a thug, I would say, and it's kind well, kind of. A... I was going to say how even his very presence evokes a kind of a proletarianness, yeah? So in those scenes at the office, what's the equivalent of uh, the Wall Street guys, yeah? Yeah, in, you know, Oliver Stone films or The Wolf of Wall Street or whatever. It was all a bit like Glen Gary, Glen Ross, wasn't it? it was yeah, that kind, of vibe. that kind of vibe. But, you know, I mean, that kind of vibe is all made by college-educated, you know, again, upper-class, middle-class, you know, people making millions on Wall Street. And there you have Hu Shen, who looks like a little potato dumpling, yeah. half, <laughs> half, half the size of everyone else, with ill-fitting yeah. clothes, and yeah, even his physical presence evokes a different ba background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in a way that I think is, is, is very interesting. So let's return to the film, because the film has a wonderful, complex structure that nonetheless doesn't leave the viewer behind. So, you know, when our two protagonists, you know, they meet and basically through their, their conversation is the conduit to all of these flashbacks. Yeah, it's basically what happened here and what happened must there. Be, I was thinking it must have been a nightmare for the people running that cafe, that you just got these two women come in and they just buy one cup of coffee and spend two and a half <laughs> hours having flashbacks. <laughs> oh, God, oh God, God, they're back to 1973 that, again. That's, that's, buy that's, that's such a British perspective, you know. <laughs> in most countries in the world, like you, your coffee is a license to stay there all day reading your book. <laughs> Haven't you read Jean-Paul Sartre? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
the, the conversation is the conduit to all of these flashbacks, but they're not linear, right? And it's very interesting because in a way, kind of, you know, what you have is a delineation of the deterioration of a marriage, yeah, and of a hope, yeah, yeah and of a yeah. self, actually, you know. So the edits must have been horrible because what do you cut to what? You'll be watching their, them in their 20s and then it'll flash back, sometimes within a flashback, it'll flash back again to their school days or, or you'll suddenly see somebody else's perspective. It's almost like you're having a flashback, you know, the woman's having a flashback and then one of the characters in, a flash, in that flashback then has a flashback. And, it, you know, you, but you, you do always know where you are because, kind of because of the haircuts, yes. well, the wigs. Um. I did have many moments where I thought, you know, is that really Sylvia Chang? Clearly, the young, there's a younger actress playing that role, yeah. No, they're all. It's all Sylvia Chang. Is yeah. it? And, that, and I think that was, that was kind of my one criticism. I think that she didn't quite convince as a as a, as a you know seventeen year old or whatever she's. Oh, she convinced be. me because I thought it was <laughs> a, I thought it was a different actress. <laughs> but there, there are but the, the I did get a little confused because there there's the. Um, yeah, the Sylvia Chang, and then there's the concert pianist who's her, you know, her best friend. But then there's another friend who introduces her, her to the, the to the husband. That character that you're mentioning, the best friend, uh, the other best friend, uh, is structurally uh, absolutely significant because she's the independent woman who chose her own path, who had children out of wedlock, yeah, uh, who basically kind of, you know, lived her own life, yeah. Uh, uh, with all the problems that that has, she's now living with her mother, bringing up her kids. Yeah, she hasn't had the independent life she sought, you know. But nonetheless, she seems quite content with her life. Yeah, and and this is interesting because it's sort of essentially you've got the yeah you know, the the three I would say the three central characters in the film are are these three women, all by the end of the film leading independent lives lives without useless men, and that's within a context where as we you know as we've shown in this film. You know where arranged marriages seem to by the family seem to be the norm, and we saw that also in things like Cute Girl um, from a couple of years earlier, where where you know the expectation is that um, you know the marriage is only going to happen with the permission of the family. You know, um, so it, it and clearly it was a very I guess a very patriarchal society where where women were expected to just accept the partner that was chosen for them, and the this shows three women finding different each finding different ways of of, of getting by. But all, all ending up very successful, I think. Yes, I want to uh, take up on your point of useless men, because actually, I, I think one of the triumphs of this film is that to me the men never seem useless. Yeah, that um, they seem inadequate in relation to the women. Certainly, you know, from the women's point of view, like they're not giving them what they need. But also, you get a sense of what the burdens on these men are, like the die why character. You know, you do get a sense of, you know, all the pressures that he's under to fit in, to be one of the boys, to drink and to go out, to do all these things he doesn't want to do, right? To inhabit some idea of what a successful man is supposed to be. Either he is also caught in uh, notions of what it is to be a man that he can't fulfill. Yeah, just as the whole thing about the film of what is a marriage and what is love and what is happiness and what is contentment kind of remains unresolved so does this idea of how are you a man yeah yeah, yeah. i think it's and that, 
and that leads to that interesting scene where Sylvia Chan's character keeps you know, keeps turning up at work to to try and you know get close to the husband. And there's a scene where all the all the kind of boys in, in the company, including Ho Shao Shan, including the other one or two directors, are are kind of on this building site that they're, that they're doing going to do a deal on. Sylvia Chan turns up, and there's just this scene of you know Ho Shao Shan and and one of the others just basically taunting the husband. Oh, she's she's here again. It's the old lady. She's you know, going to drag you home, and you think, yeah, okay. And also, the previous year, those are the guys that kind of prevented Sylvia Chang from directing one of the films in In Our Time, and it's sort of these people playing those roles. So that's, yes. I don't know if that's deliberate, but it's an interesting. It, it kind of led lent an interesting additional layer to that scene. Yeah. yeah. One of the scenes that I found quite thought provoking was the one where you flash back to her, and she's a child. And she sees her father not quite assaulting... Her father's a doctor. And you see him unbuttoning the blouse of his nurse. And she's quite resistant. Like, she, she's obviously not in a position to fight back. And you're very conscious that it's a question of position. That she can't fight back. That she would lose her job if she fights back. But she's, she's cringing. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's a really interesting scene because the other thing about that is it's never actually, I don't, I don't think it's ever actually mentioned explicitly by the older versions of the character that, that she saw that. But basically, you know, essentially the whole thing has been driven by the father's morality, forcing his, trying to force his children to behave and to, in a certain way, to marry certain people. And then really quite late into the film, you realise that she she saw her father... Well, Either either assaulting the nurse or he was having an affair with the nurse. It's not totally clear. Well, um, to me, it was kind of clear that it was a kind of an assault, really. The nurse didn't want it. On top of that, she then gets dismissed because you see this scene with her mother giving the nurse an envelope and the nurse has her suitcase by her side. So yeah, the envelope yeah. might be money, it might be a letter of reference, but in any case, the nurse is very unhappy. So she's not only been sexually assaulted, but she's lost her job. And and the and the implication of that being the mother was aware of it as well. Yeah, and complicit yeah. with Again, you're not told that, but that's the implication. Yeah. yeah that's, that's... So it's kind of, you know, it's... Um, it's a film that is with women and shows, you know, how kind of, you know, women are imprisoned by, you know, these these social roles that uh, they are uh, ideologically required to enact and perform with uh, very diminishing uh, returns. So I think this is a film also where I found that silence was used very interestingly. So often you will cut to a scene in the past and people will be speaking, but you won't hear what they say. There are other scenes where, and this is a trick that Ho Xiao Shen played in one of his films as well, where the sound from the flashback scene either starts during the previous scene in the present day or carries on into that scene. Um, so you're, you're not, and it was kind of lends to that thing of people remembering and they're only remembering what they can remember and that, that mm. kind of thing. Mm. One of the things that I find like so beautiful about this film, and you know, I'm going to be a cliche and maybe not express it as articulately as I'd like, you know, but um, one of the differences between this kind of film and, you know, most of the films that I see is that this one is serious. <laughs> I don't know how <laughs> else to describe it, yeah? That it actually tackles what I think are 
you know, the really important issues of life, yeah, and I think it begins something, there's a phrase at the beginning that says something like, how could someone with an education like yours, you know, you're so educated and you don't know what happiness is? <laughs> yeah, that somehow education should also be philosophy, right? Um, and, you know, this whole film is, you know, about important questions in life, like, you know, what is a marriage? What is happiness? You know, what is contentment? What is conviviality? Do you ever really know someone? How can you be married and love someone so much and not know very much about them? Yeah, uh, you know, life doesn't provide all the answers. Someone could disappear on the beach and you don't know whether they're dead or whether they've gone off to Japan with a mistress, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I did find that aspect of it really fascinating that you, you're not really told, you, know, you, you don't find out really what happens. And you're not, because you, I guess you're seeing everything from the point of view of of Sylvia Chan's character really, so you, she doesn't really know what was going on in that company, whether whether it was legitimate or not, whether the husband was embezzling money or not. I mean, she's told by the by the boss of the company that he'd embezzled money, but it could well have been the boss who was embezzling money because he's pretty dodgy. Um, and also, she could be lying because one of the things he says is tomorrow you may find that your cars and your house and everything has been mortgaged to the hilt. So actually, that would be a clue that, in fact, her husband had robbed all the money. Uh, but And she would know that five years later, three years later, yeah? Because uh, uh, so, so I think, you know, she also knows more than she's saying, I think, about that incident, yeah? You know, but it, it is kind of a film that kind of dramatizes those things that that you can actually love someone and think you know them and then you know really not know them uh and also you know that you could be in love yeah with someone and they could be in love with you because actually the film never claims that he isn't yeah uh you know and actually you you sh there are scenes of them together you know where they the indication is that they are and also there's very cynical things of class where one of the younger secretaries says something, I'm from a working class background, we, you know, we never expect love. Love is just like fairy tales for middle class people, right? Like we expect at most two moments of passion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, which I think is very interesting. You know, the film is very complex in giving you these different points of views on this. Yeah, because, you know, it's also not saying, so for example, you can read the film in a way that says, well, you know, this guy had an arranged marriage and it turned out very unhappy. You know, but somebody else could have had an arranged marriage and have it turned out very happy, right? So, and you know, and this young woman refused her arranged marriage, married for love, and look at her, right? And this other woman didn't marry at all, and look at her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah? so it kind of, it raises the questions, it dramatizes instance, and it kind of gets you to reflect upon them in a complex way. Yeah, that is that is constantly absorbing, and I think this is really the film's great success for me. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting to compare it with Dust on the Wind, I guess, which with the Hoshashan film, which is kind of similarly the the story of these two childhood sweethearts who kind of sort sort of elope and live together and marry. And I think don't, I don't think they marry, but but then it. And yeah, then yeah, they are in love, but it just doesn't work out when they're adults. That's kind of a sim similar theme, but 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 again, more male focused than this one. 
Mm. It's also interesting to compare it to uh, the Yang episode of In Our Time, where you saw, you know, that very erotic kind of female gaze at work. Yeah, you know, so women on the cusp of adolescence kind of, you know, being bothered by looking at a man uh, with his shirt off. Uh, because in a way, this is, you know, the emotional dimension to that erotic gaze that, you know, the film is dramatizing. Yeah, so I think it's interesting to kind of watch them side by side in a way. There's a lot more to say about the film, but I think I'd have to watch it again, really. I think so. Cause it's such a complex film that it, it, it sort of demands rewatching because of the structure of it. Uh, and the, the other thing I'd say is it, it's, uh, you know, g given how few films Edward Yang made, it's such a shame that they're not all available. <laughs> yes. You know, this is a great film. It's, there's a great restoration of it that was released on Blu-ray, I think, in, in Taiwan, and it has never come out elsewhere. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the materials are there for this to have a really nice release in the same way that, I mean, I know there's Blu-rays of um, Brighter Summer Day and, and Yaya are out, but, and Taipei Story. So I guess that's, to be fair, that's nearly half his films. Yeah, so, no. um, but, but, you know, this is such a great film. And, and the, the fact it's such a great film and there is a restoration of it that could be released and it just hasn't been released. Anyway, uh, I highly recommend that, uh, that you view it and I certainly am planning to see it mm. again. I was looking at Sylvia Chang, um, her, her career earlier, and I discovered she played the lead in a British film in the late 80s. Oh, wow. Uh, which one? Uh, so Sour Sweet, which is based on a novel by Timothy Moe, which was, uh, I think it was either Booker, Booker Prize winner or nominee, nominated, screenplay by Timothy Moe and Ian McEwan, directed by Mike Newell. It's, a, it's about two immigrants from Hong Kong in the UK, I think in the 60s. So that that's it. And I'm, so I'm going to try and see that. I think we, we won't do a podcast on it, but it'd be interesting. <laughs> uh, but so it's, it's, inter it's interesting that she had this kind of international career too. All right. Uh, so thank you very much for listening. Uh, we are thinking aloud about film. This is the Hu Xiao Shen podcast, and we will be returning in a week's time. Thank you very much for listening. Bye. <laughs>